like literally no Well, good morning. As uh, most of you know, our family will be relocating back to my hometown in north central Indiana. Uh, so we're just a few hours away from Chicago. So if you're ever in the States, um, you can uh, feel free to drop us a line and we would love to meet up with you. And uh, just to, to give you an idea very briefly of what we'll be doing there, my wife, Gita, will be uh, the director of global initiatives at Grace College and Seminary where we met um, uh, that was a long time ago, <laughs> um, back when we were in Bible college. And so uh, one of the great benefits that uh, she has is that her dependents can study for free. And so I'll be uh, taking up that opportunity to study at Grace Theological Seminary. And I have a master's in ministry studies, uh, which is about half of a master's of divinity. And so in order to do a doctorate, I need a master's of divinity or equivalent. So I'm going to finish off the master's of divinity. And then uh, hopefully, um, a couple years is a long time in today's age. So anything could happen. But uh, the goal after that, uh, tentatively, would be to uh, study a doctorate, a doctor of ministry after that. Um, so that's just for you to know, uh, so you can know how to pray for us and what our future holds. And uh, this is obviously the last time uh, preaching here, uh, at least on staff at AIC. And uh, unless God opens an o- another opportunity, po- potentially the last time to be able to speak in Hong Kong. And our family have been here for 11 years, so uh, we're excited to go back, but we will certainly miss you and, and all of the wonderful people God's allowed us to interact with here in Hong Kong. Well, God's been bringing us on this journey for the past uh, six or seven months, and uh, really he's been laying on my heart this concept or idea of finishing well. Um, obviously, because both Gita and I are finishing out our, our, our job, so to speak, here. We're also finishing out a season in life, living in Hong Kong together. Um, but I thought even deeper than that. As a Christian, uh, our life and time here on earth is so temporary. So how can we as Christians live a life to where in the end we can say with good conscience that we've finished well? And so I thought today there's no greater example, I believe, than looking at the life of the Apostle Paul. I mean, obviously, apart from Jesus. But uh, the Apostle Paul, I think, is just a prime example of a man who finished well. Paul was not perfect. He struggled. He sinned. He, uh, he you know, doubted God. He wanted to give up on occasion. And yet... He persevered to the end, and what I want to do this morning is look at some of what our scholars consider to literally be some of his last words. So we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, and we'll focus on verse 7 today. Uh, Now, like I said, these are uh, some of his last words. Scholars believe that the final... um, letter that he ever wrote was the second letter to Timothy, and he was writing from a jail cell, a prison cell, and he had a death sentence. He was going to be executed, and he knew that his time was running short. And so as we read this, let's keep that in mind. These are some of his last words, and I'm sure as Timothy is is hearing this, when Paul says, "Um, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near." Paul is saying, my time is almost over. 
And so I'm sure as Timothy is reading this letter, his, his ears, his mind, his heart is kind of perking up and, and wanting to hear, what is it that Paul wants to tell me in some of his last moments? And he says this in verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Well, like I said, I want to focus on verse 7 of what he tells Timothy here when he says, I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now, I don't believe that Paul is just merely stating facts, like I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I kept the faith. I think he's also uh, giving some insight into how he was able to finish well. So he starts by saying, I have fought the good fight. Now, as we go through this, um, I believe there's three insights that can help us if we want to be people, be followers of Christ who finish well. There's three things that Paul did that, that we have to do as well. And the first thing is, if we want to finish well, we must remain focused. We must remain focused. You know, Paul here says that he fought the good fight. Now, there's many things. Paul was a very talented person. He came from a great family. Uh, He had great credentials. And there's so many things he could have done. And yet here he says, I fought the good fight. He was focused on what he considered to be the good fight. You know, it's easy for us to to be distracted at times, isn't it? Uh, We live in a day and age where there are so many things that are competing for our attention whether it's people, whether it's our, our devices that we have. We're, we're almost literally connected all the time now. And so there's many things. Other people might have problems. There, there might be uh, things that come up that we just want to do, and we, we see something and we want to do it. Um, just, just an example, one of my colleagues this past week um, needed to fix a light bulb above his desk, and so he needed to go down and get a footstool so he could reach up and, and change it. Well, he came, came up with a cup of coffee. <laughs> and I still remember him coming up, and he takes a sip. And he's like, I went down to get a footstool, and I came up with a cup of coffee? <laughs> like, like, he was even surprised that that happened. Apparently, he went down, and someone had just made coffee, and he smelled it. And, wow, that's good, and totally forgot about what his real focus was. Well, I want to uh, do something real briefly, and I'm going to put a sentence on the screen, and I want you to count how many times, I want you to focus, and count how many times you see the letter F, okay, the letter F. So it's just a simple sentence. Don't say the number out loud. Just keep it to yourself. Um, read the sentence and count how many times you see the letter F. Okay, that should be long enough. Okay, so how many of you saw three letter Fs? Raise it high, I'm proud. Okay, how many of you saw five letter Fs? Anybody see two, three, uh, uh, six? Okay, seven. All right. Now, those of you who said three, congratulations. That is the most, uh, you can give yourself a pat on the back. That is the most common answer, but that's only half. There's actually six. <laughs> How many of you had six? Okay, well, there was, there's more than usual, okay? You guys are really focused. I'm proud of you. Now, now I'm not 
I'm not sure who the experts are. I don't know if those are linguists or psychologists or whatever, but the experts say that um, the, the most popular answer is six, and for some reason we, we skip over the, the letter of. They're not sure why, maybe because it has a V sound or because our minds are trained to skip over and just automatically think about short words. But regardless, we tend to focus on what we're, we want to focus on, aren't we? Now, there's something else I want to show you, which is a brief video clip, and I want you again to focus. Um, So if someone could just uh, dim the lights real quick, and then we will watch a very brief video clip. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? Watch the very middle of the screen, the very middle, now towards the left. Okay, you can raise the lights now. How many of you actually saw the moonwalking bear the first time? Okay, a couple of you. Have you seen that video clip before? Okay, that's why. (laughs) Hey. Well, you know, so often we, we focus on the things we want to focus on. Now, why did you guys not see the moonwalking bear? Because the guy told you to count the number of passes by the white team, right? You know, often we're distracted because we focus on what other people want us to focus on, don't we? Um, we, again, competing for our attention. There's things that, that we want to focus on that we think are important, our concerns, our worries, our priorities. And then there's sometimes other people's priorities and concerns that, that we feel like we should focus on. And so if we're going to finish well and we want to be focused, we shouldn't focus just on what we want to focus on, not just what others want to focus on, but ultimately we need to focus on what God wants us to focus on. And so the very good question is, what is it that God wants us to focus on? Well, Jesus says something interesting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, very famous words. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, this is in a a context of where Jesus is talking about worry and how we don't need to worry. God takes care of the birds and the flowers, and if he takes care of them, how much more is he going to take care of you as his children? And so what he's saying is, is that there's so many things we can focus on that can distract us, and he's saying, just focus on me. Focus on my kingdom, my righteousness, and I'll take care of the rest. The, the author of Hebrews says it like this. He says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. I still remember, uh, it was just over, um, well, in a few weeks, um, Gita and I will be celebrating our 
14th wedding anniversary. And I know that Pastor Mike and Melissa just celebrated there, so congratulations. Um, and so I still remember we had about, about the same number of people at our wedding, and I still remember standing up front looking and waiting for my bride to come down the aisle. And as she was coming down the aisle, all that I could focus on and think about and fix my eyes on was my beautiful bride who was coming towards me and thinking, I don't deserve this. And I was just glowing with happiness. And it was like everyone else faded away. In fact, one of my coworkers uh, at the time uh, even mentioned that to me. She's like, wow, your face was so precious when Guido was walking down the aisle. It was like no one else was in the room but her. And so I still remember that my eyes were fixed on her. And it's the same thing as Christians. As we live this Christian life, our eyes should be totally and completely fixed on Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't do anything else. It's not just, you know, I'm looking at Jesus, but I don't do anything. In fact, the author of Hebrews says, he says, we are to what? We are to run with perseverance, right? So we are in this race. We are to to do something. But as we live out the Christian life, our, our gaze, our fix, our eyes should be on Christ. And so what are the things that, as we fix our eyes on Christ, what are the things that are most important for us to focus on? Well, the Old Testament is filled with literally thousands of commands, of things we're to do, things we're not to do. And so Jesus was asked the question, well, what's the most important or what's the greatest commandment in the, in, in the scriptures? And what did Jesus say? You can, you can respond. What is the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, with, with all that you got. In other words, love God. And that's, that's everything. But he said there's a second one just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the, the number one priority or, or task we have is to love God and to love others. And Jesus tells it as if it's a package. And he says, those together sum up the entire law and the prophets. And so, uh, and that's important for us to understand that they're tied together because a lot of Christians know and want to love God, but we don't realize if we're going to love God, we have to love others. And a lot of people want to love others, but you're not going to be able to love others unless you first love God and experience his love in your life. And so it's a package. Okay, we have to love God, love others. And then what was the great commission or great mission that Jesus gave his followers before he left? Go and make disciples. Now, I'm a pretty simple guy, and I believe Jesus laid it out pretty simple. <laughs> of the tasks that we are to focus on, and everything our lives should revolve around as we fix our eyes on Jesus is to love God, love others, and make disciples. That's it. <laughs> love God, love others, and make disciples. One of the things I love about AIC is the focus we have as a church on what our calling is, what our mission is. AIC's mission is to glorify God by loving Christ, loving one another, and reaching the world. Love God, love others, make disciples. (laughs) That's it. And so my prayer is that as a church, you would continue to focus on that. There are so many things that we could do as a church, that you could do as a church. And there's so many things that ideas that people might have and yet 
this should be our focus. <laughs> love God, love others, make disciples. And Jesus said, all these things will be given to you as well. If you focus on these things, God's going to do powerful things in and through you and AIC. And so if we want to finish well, we need to remain focused on what's truly important. Secondly, uh, if we want to finish well, we must remain fit. <laughs> must remain fit. Uh, Paul said, I have finished the race. Uh, any of you who have run a race or you've done athletics where you've had to exert energy know that in order to finish well, <laughs> um, you need to be fit. Um, I, I still remember when Gita uh, ran her first 3K and 5K and uh, her goal was just to finish. <laughs> She's like, I don't want to get on the slow person bus <laughs> because apparently there's a bus for those who can't finish the race. <laughs> um, and so physically, if we want to um, finish a race, we need to remain fit. And if we want to finish the Christian life, the Christian, uh, which the Bible often uh, uses the analogy of a race, we need to remain fit. Well, how do we do that? Um, well, first of all, uh, I also remember uh, my first year playing tennis in high school. Um, I actually played my second year of high school. I didn't really think I was good enough for the tennis team my first year, but I played with some friends and they said, who were on the team and said, hey, you should try out. And so uh, I went to the, uh, the first practice and we had what was called conditioning for the first two weeks before the school year started. Um, and we had, to get, we had to be there, what I considered, quite early, 7 or 7.30 in the morning. And we would practice for two hours. Um, practice. <laughs> well, the practice started by the coach saying, okay, you see our high school? We're going to run around this building two or three times. I can't remember. Now, it was, it was huge, like way bigger than this school. And, it, and uh, I estimated, looking back, it was probably at least three kilometers. And so we had to do a 3K run. <laughs> and at the end of that, you know, we're all tired. We come back to the tennis courts, and our coach says, okay, you have one minute to drink some water, rest, and then we're going to do some tennis drills. So we're like, okay. So we tried to catch our breath. So he's like, I want you to line up. And so we had two coaches on two courts. And so we all had to line up in the middle of the court. And uh, the first person, the coach, would hit the ball to one corner of the court. And the person would have to run and hit it back. And then the coach would have to hit it to the other corner. And you'd have to run over and hit it back. Now, mind you, this is after running a 3K with a minute break. And so we had to keep going back and forth about 10 times. And we had motivation to hit it well because if you hit it, um, I think it was at least half or more into the net, you had to do more running. <laughs> so I still remember those first couple days after running a 3K and then doing those line drills and my legs were like shaking. They felt like rubber or jelly and I had like literally no foundation. <laughs> but I also remember towards the end of those two weeks, I didn't have any problems because our body was conditioned and physically became fit. And our, our coach eventually explained why he was torturing us <laughs> because he said, if, if you're playing against another player who is just better than you skill-wise and he beats you and you've tried your best, I can accept that. Okay, I can accept that. But if you lose to a guy who's not, who you're better than, but you lose because you run out of energy, run out of steam, I can't accept that. And so he was conditioning us with this mindset of, if we're going to finish, we've got to be fit. 
Well, as Christians, how do we do that? Well, if we think about physical fitness, something we all need to remain physically fit is a proper diet. And so as Christians, what is our proper diet? Well, we are to feed on and intake God's word. Uh, In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert, um, Satan said, you know, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus replies by saying, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, that's interesting. As Jesus was going through that fast and in the desert heat and was towards the end of that, And this was probably a genuine temptation in his human flesh. Um, Jesus was sustained by God's word. He was able to overcome that temptation. He was fit because he had intaked, he intook God's word. Uh, Jesus was actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And this is where Moses was uh, giving an explanation to the people of Israel why they had to go through so many years in the desert and the wilderness and why they had so much um, difficulty and trouble. And Moses gives this explanation. He says, he hum- God, in other words, humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, God allowed them to, to suffer hunger in the desert so that they would call out to him, that they would cry out to him, rely on him, and he provided that physical nourishment. He miraculously provided that special bread that is still mysterious called manna. We still don't know what that is, but God miraculously provided that physical food. But God providing that physical food was still a picture or metaphor for God saying that it's me that you need to feast on. My word is what you need to feed on. And so as Christians, we need to know, we need to study, we need to to learn and intake God's word. Um, And the ultimate word of God is Christ himself. Jesus is, in John chapter 1, it says, the word was with God and the word was God. And so Jesus says this about himself in John 6:35. He says, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty." And so we need to have a proper diet of feasting on God's word and on Christ. Secondly, for physical fitness, we need to have proper exercise, and it's the same thing spiritually. And what that means is we need to to live out. We need to exercise our faith. We need to put it into practice. James says it this way. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And something interesting that, that Jesus also says about his spiritual food, he earlier said, my spiritual food is the word of God. And yet now he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work. In other words, Jesus uh, not only took in God's word, but he lived it out. He fulfilled God's will in his life. And that's a model for us of how we need to not just intake God's word, but we need to to live it out as well. I'll be be honest. This is probably uh, the most difficult aspect of physical fitness that that I I struggle with. And and I guess it's because I'm... um, 
blessed with good genes, <laughs> not, not like blue genes, but um, heredity. And, um, and so it's easy for me to rely on my high metabolism and the fact that I don't have, but I can tell when I'm out of shape. Just recently, I've had like tendonitis in my hand from too much iPad. I don't know. It's like, I'm, and probably it's because I'm getting older. <laughs> so I can't just rely on um, things just working out. And so the reason why it's hard for me is because finding time and it's not a priority and it takes effort. It takes initiative. It takes, you know, actually doing it. And I think spiritually that's so hard for us and hard for me as well. You know, it's one thing to, to hear a sermon about forgiveness, to hear a sermon about how, you know, Jesus says, if, if you don't forgive men's sins, I won't forgive your sins. Ouch. That's harsh. And we say, yeah, I really should forgive this person. So it's one thing to take in God's word, to know it, and agree with it. It's harder to actually exercise that and go to that person and say, I forgive you. And so as Christians, we need to to exercise our faith. And, you know, I I don't... uh, How do I say this? (laughs) I think the biggest problem in, in many churches is not that we don't have enough Bible studies, uh, fellowship groups, um, uh, programs, uh, discipleship classes. I don't think that's the issue. It's not that we're not teaching enough of God's Word. Um, I think the biggest problem is that we have what I call or think of as too many obese Christians, (laughs) if I can be so bold. Now, I don't mean physically you're fat, but I'm just saying that spiritually we can become obese. Because church and our Christian life becomes about us. I want to be fed. I want to learn. I want to grow. And we get to a point where we're intaking a lot. We're going to this Bible study, that Bible study, this discipleship class, listening to that podcast, going to this worship service, listening to this worship music. And we we fill ourselves so much, and then we don't go to that discipleship class because, well, that's too simple for me. Or, well, we don't go to that because, well, I already know that. And we think, wow, that sermon, I've heard that so many times. And it becomes about us and filling us. But you know what? We reach a certain point in our spiritual life where we don't need more Bible studies. (laughs) Now, we all continually need to grow. But there's a point where we need to start giving that away to others. We need to start helping exercise our faith by feeding others. And so there's opportunities for you to maybe lead a discipleship class for youth, young adults, children. Maybe you can start a community group. Maybe you can volunteer in some way. Maybe you can be bold enough to, if Pastor Mike lets you, come up and preach. (laughs) Or if he asks you. (laughs) We need opportunities, or better yet, maybe just as an average person, you can find someone else that you can meet up with and grow in God's Word together. And you can teach that person what it means to follow Christ. Make disciples. And so we as Christians are very good at intaking. We're very good at the diet part. But I think we really need to work on exercising, giving it out, exercising it, living it out, and helping to feed others. Well, finally, for um, physical uh, fitness, we need proper rest. Um, And it's the same thing spiritually. Um, And what I mean by that is we need to pace ourselves. We need to pace ourselves. Uh, As we've read, and, and Paul in multiple places, um, 
he compares the Christian life to a race. And so if we think about the Christian life as a race, it's more like a marathon than a sprint. Um, now, a sprint would be the 100 meters. Um, a long distance... A, uh, yeah. I remember when I was in high school, I was very good at the 100-meter dash. Um, and so I thought, whatever race you run, you're supposed to run as fast as you can. So we had a 400-meter uh, race, because I blew everyone away in the 100 meters. So I thought, oh, I'm so fast, I'm cool. Um, so we had the 400 meters, which is one full lap around the track. And so um, that was my first year in high school. And uh, the PE teacher um, blew his whistle or whatever. And so we went, and I, boom, I was off. And I was way ahead of everyone. So I'm, I'm looking back after about the first 100 meters, and I'm blowing everyone away. Well, then we came about halfway through, and I looked back, and some people were coming a little closer. So I tried to put on, you know, even more um, energy, and about two-thirds of the way around the, the course, I started to, it was like a switch went off, and my body just started to slow down. And so here I am running, and I see this guy coming, and as we go around the final turn, he overtakes me. And I'm like, how's that possible? I'm going so fast. And so then um, after we get to about the final 50 meters, two or three others overtake me, and I come in like fourth or fifth place. And uh, embarrassingly, I also bleh, blew chunks afterwards, <laughs> my lunch or whatever I had eaten. And I was like dying, and, I, and my co the, the PE teacher had no sympathy for me. <laughs> he said, Dan, did you actually sprint? 400 meters? I said, yeah, I thought it was supposed to. He's like, Olympic athletes don't even sprint 400 meters. They save at least a little bit for the final stretch. And uh, that, was a, that was a very, you know, good reminder for me that, okay, there are times and seasons where I really need to pace myself. And, um, you know, this is so important for us. Um, do you know who the first person to ever rest in this universe was? God. Now think about that. After he, after he created everything, it says on the seventh day God rested. Now did, did God need to rest? Was it like, man, that was hard work. Oh, I got to sit down. Does, does God need to rest? No, he doesn't need to. The Bible says, he says, I, I don't slumber or grow weary or, or anything. So why did God do that? Um... You know, also, that was before sin entered the world, too. And I think, I, I, this is my, my view, my opinion, my, my insight. So this is just my, not biblical, you know, this is my insight. Um, I believe God was setting a model for even the first humans who were Adam and Eve. Now, did they need rest? Well, before the fall, I don't think so. But it was still a good practice for them because it not just would rest them physically, but it would rest them spiritually to be able to focus back on their creator. And that's actually the reason for the ultimate reason. Now, there is a practical physical side after the fall. Okay, we do get tired, so we do need physical rest. That is important. But the reason for the 10th the commandment, the Sabbath, now think about that. Of all the ten top things God wants us to do or not do, rest was one of those. So that shows how important it is to God. And he gives a reason so that you will remember 
the Lord your God and what he has done for you. And so when we think about that, we need times of rest. We do need it physically, but we also need it spiritually where we can step back and we can slow down our lives and we can contemplate and remember and reflect on what God's done in our life. And then also contemplate how is my relationship going? How am I doing? What are things that I need to improve on? What, what are things that I can celebrate of how God's used me? So we need those times to pace ourselves. Um, just real briefly, um, you know who else was really good at pacing himself? Was Jesus. Now if you think about it, how, how many years was Jesus here on earth? Th- about 33 years. How many of those 33 years did he publicly share the good news of new life in him? Three. That's less than 10%. Now, if we think about in our terms of, you know, our times of being really productive, and really efficient, that is not what we would consider very productive or efficient. Now, here you have the God of the universe, the greatest preacher that's ever lived, the greatest Christian to ever live, the greatest healer, and yet he only spent three of his 33 years publicly declaring the gospel. That's pretty amazing. What was he doing the first 30 years? <laughs> Pacing himself. He got to know the culture he was in. He learned the language. He learned to obey his parents. He learned the Hebrew scriptures. He memorized them. He um, learned what it was like to be a human. And he learned to trade. <laughs> he was a carpenter. He cut wood for his job. And even when he was in his public ministry, when we read the gospel accounts, he rarely was in front of large crowds. Now, he was on certain occasions, but he actually tried to get away from the crowds. And he spent most of the time just with his circle of friends. And again, it's like, this is the greatest preacher ever, and yet he's not preaching to thousands of people. He could reach so many more. And in fact, we see some instances where he does slip away from the crowd and goes to be by himself to pray. And his disciples don't even know where he is. (laughs) And even when there's a storm and they're out at sea on the boat, what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. (laughs) He's resting. And I think this is very insightful for us to realize that if Jesus needed those times away to spend with the Father to re-energize him physically and emotionally and spiritually, how much more do we need those times of rest? those times uh, to renew our souls and uh, to, re- to refresh our hearts. So if we're going to finish well, we need to remain fit. And finally, if we're going to finish well, we need to remain faithful. We need to remain faithful. Paul says, I have kept the faith. Now, I believe this is more than just saying he, he stayed a Christian. He didn't turn away from his faith, that he still believed in God. I believe it it was much more than that. Uh, If I were to say, I am am as in love with my wife today as I was 14 years ago when we got married, would that mean that I still believe that I love her and I believe that she loves me? No. It would mean that I'm I'm faithfully living living out what it means to be a husband and I'm I'm in a vibrant relationship with my wife. And I believe it's the same thing in our Christian walk. It's not just uh, being faithful is not just holding to a set of beliefs, 
but it's faithfully living out our commitment to Christ and faithfully living out his calling in our life. And generally speaking, our calling is to focus on loving God, loving others, and making disciples. And so it's faithfully living that out. Now, this does not mean perfection. Okay, like I mentioned earlier, Paul was not perfect. He's, he's the one who said, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. He's the one who said, I, who doesn't lust, and I don't inwardly burn. In other words, I struggle with sin. Um, and so it doesn't mean perfection. I'm not a perfect Christian. I'm not a perfect husband. <laughs> I'm not a perfect employee. Uh, what it does mean, though, is that in spite of our failures, in spite of our imperfections, we still continually come back to Christ for grace and forgiveness and hope that he can offer. And so it means that we continually just we continually draw close to him. And when we fall, we get back up. And we say, Lord, please forgive me. And we, we ask for strength and we continually keep going. And that's, that's part of our physical fitness too, right? We don't just give up. We keep going. Even though there's times where we may think we should give up or we want to give up, it means we keep going, being faithful the best we can. And you know what? Uh, Paul here, I think, gives a very good example to us of what part of being faithful means. Part of being faithful involves, using the race analogy, passing the baton, so to speak, or the, the stick when you're in a relay race. Because that means that your leg of the race is coming to an end and over, and if your team wants to win, you've got to pass it on to someone else and entrust them to take over for you. Who was Paul writing this letter to? He was writing to Timothy, a young, young Christian man who was becoming a leader, and he was literally, spiritually speaking, he was passing on the baton to Timothy. He was intentionally investing in someone to carry on his work after he was gone. And you notice that Paul made an impact on a lot of people. But as far as we know, his final investment was just in one. And that goes to show us that we can do that. We may not be able to pass a baton to a hundred different people, but we can all think of someone that we can invest in. And so being a faithful Christian, if we're going to finish well, we need to be thinking about who am I investing in? Who am I passing on my faith to? Just one, and, and also doing your part in fulfilling the Great Commission one person at a time. Well, as Paul's life came to an end, uh, he didn't have a, a farewell party or a farewell tea time. And as far as we know, we're not sure if he had even any kind of farewell memorial service where people could, you know, share how much they loved him and cared for him. Now, those farewells are awesome and amazing, and we should do them. That's kind of weird saying because I'm having one. But <laughs> we should encourage people and, and let people know how much they've meant to us. But in the grand scheme of things, that wasn't Paul's greatest concern. And he was okay with that. Because if you notice, he says this right after those words in verse 8. He says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. 
As nice as it is to receive praise from men, praise from humans, his ultimate goal was hearing those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, from his Lord and Savior. Knowing that he'd receive a crown of righteousness that would never pass away. Something that would be eternal, that that would come straight from God to award to him. And, And he's giving a promise here. That wasn't just for him, that's for everyone who longs for Christ's return and appearing. And so if we want to be faithful, that is what we look forward to. Not necessarily, well, what am I going to say to people when I say goodbye? Or not even, what are people going to say to me when I say goodbye? But what is, what am I, what is my Lord and Savior awaiting for me when my time here on earth is done? And so if we want to finish well, we need to remain focused, fit, and faithful. I just want to give a moment for you to have a personal time of reflection uh, in your own life. And uh, there's a a small handout um, that was in your bulletin if you have one. But there's just a short prayer at the very bottom in response. And I'll have it on the screen here as well. But I'm just going to allow you some time, just you and God, to say a very simple prayer. Lord, I desire to finish well. And, and please only pray this if you mean it. <laughs> and if you don't, then it's okay to just observe. But if you mean it, say, Lord, I desire to finish well. Please help me to be more, and you can fill in the blank, more faithful, more focused, more fit. Uh, any of those, any of your own, those are my words, any of your own words or a combination of those. Help me to be more in order to honor you with my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Take a moment, just you and God, to say that prayer, and then I will, in a few moments, close, close us out. Lord God, as we come before you today, each of us are at a different uh, leg of our journey in our relationship with you. Lord, some of us have just been a Christian for a short time. Others of us have been a Christian for most of our lives and some here for many, many years. And Lord, regardless of where we are in our spiritual relationship with you, uh, you've called us to finish well. Lord, I pray that we would prepare for that, even now. That we would remain focused on what you want us to be focused on, which is primarily you yourself, as we love you, love others, and make disciples. Help us to be faithful in carrying out uh, your calling in our lives. And Lord, help us to remain fit. Help us to intentionally feed on your word. Help us to intentionally put it into practice. Invest in others. And Lord, help us to have those proper times of rest where we can pace ourselves 
so that we can be in this walk for the long term. And Lord, we look forward to the day where we can see you face to face and we can express our love and our gratitude for you. And Lord, where we can say with confidence or know with confidence that you will give us that crown of righteousness, not because of anything we've done, but because of your grace and your work in our lives. And so, Lord, we want to say thank you. We love you. We want to live for you. May you be glorified in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us all rise as we sing our closing song.